Welcome to the show, Paul George, right here in the studio, Adam Conk. Hello, Paul. How you doing, big guy? So good, so good. You know why? Why? Probably the same reason you're you're thrilled. Weather in South Louisiana is finally pleasant. Yes, it's amazing. It's a rare occasion. Yes. So when it happens, it's amazing. Yeah, so uh, we've kind of missed recording the last you know week or so. Yeah, you've been a busy bee. You've been all over. Been all over the place. So we're back in the studio getting some shows done. And it's exciting. So, yeah. uh, how are your travels? You went to uh, Atlanta and Duluth, somewhere Minnesota. Cold. Ooh, yeah. Which how'd it go? By the way, uh, I think we're just going to go right into this. Uh, have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Are you for real though? Okay, I'm for real. <laughs> um, have you seen snow in the spring? Snow in the spring? No. Right now, we haven't seen snow all year. That's correct. Like, not one drop, like, for the whole year. Our family went to Colorado in a f- one February, but that's not spring. That was the closest I've ever been to snow in spring. Okay, so I was here at home in Louisiana, mm-hmm. uh, mowed my grass, <laughs> like, literally mowed my lawn. Uh, the next day, got on a plane, flew to Duluth, Minnesota, and it was negative degrees. Why you got to be so negative? Do you know what, ne- you know what negative is? Like under zero? Yeah. That's crazy. And then they had um, snow banks, like six foot high, that just stay. They don't go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. No. And Duluth, Minnesota is on one of the Great Lakes, Lake Superior, I believe, right? The huge lake, and it's frozen over. The lake is frozen over. The whole lake. This massive body of just water. Just one clump of ice. Now, you can't see from one side to the other. Like, it, if right. you were on the banks of it, it kind of looks like an ocean. Right. It's not. It's a lake. Yeah, I remember flying to Detroit once and flying over a lake, and just, it blew my mind how big this thing was. It was a lake. Huge. I mean, it's huge. It's like a little ocean. Yeah. Yeah. So it was quite different up there. Yeah, it was kind of a cultural shock. Um, plus, shout out to all the guys up there who listen to the show. They talk a little bit different, but we had a great time. So I spoke at a men's conference up there, and a phenomenal group of men, priests and deacons and and laymen, and, you know, it was a great, great day. It was exciting to be up there. Those are my heroes because I, when you love Jesus when it's negative temperatures, you know. (laughs) I know, and that's what I kept saying is, like, how do you guys live up here? And it's kind of the opposite of us. It's like they kind of hone in for fall and summer, like, really? Like, yeah. Like, that's you, what they complain about? No, no, no. That's <laughs> when. That's why they deal with the winters. Oh, they deal with the winters mm-hmm. because fall, spring, and summer. Now, winter is six months. Like, yes, it's painful. It is. But the trade-off is summers are seventy degrees, beautiful, and you know, no complaining. See, Whereas my, yeah. summers here, you want to get away. See, in my life experience, if I. If I saw myself in a negative temperature situation with six-foot snowbanks around me, the last thing I would say is, now's a great time for a men's conference. <laughs> Inside. So they're my heroes. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Way to go. Yeah, and I really started thinking, like, why did you plan a men's conference <laughs> in winter? Because traveling up there was ferocious, right? So people came from all over. It wasn't just a local thing. Yeah, and a lot of people didn't make it because of the driving mm-hmm. conditions in mm-hmm. the winter, you know. But I get it. It's like, what else are you going to do but be inside an auditorium, you know, talking about Jesus, which is great. And so I, I flew in on that Friday. Heroes. And uh, went to dinner um, with Deacon John the Elder, right? 
Deacon John the Elder. Yes, shout out to him. So apparently, uh, Deacon who coordinated is a great, great man. There's like three deacons that are Deacon Johns, and he, <laughs> he's the oldest. I was like, what a great saint name, man. Deacon John the Elder, and there's Deacon John the Younger. Shout out to him, who sold all my books at the conference. He sold them out. Is there a youngest? I, I think there is, and you get to meet him. The, <laughs> Deacon Deacon John the infant of <laughs> the infant John of, of Prague. <laughs> yeah, but I flew in on Friday and um, went to dinner with the bishop, um, who was an amazing man. And you know, so humbling. We're, we're having dinner, me, him, and Deacon John, and he's just picking my brain about what, uh, you know, what God's doing in the church as I travel around and what I'm doing, and just a great humility and great conversation about, um you know, best practices and, you know, it was really, really encouraging to be with, with a bishop who, um, has a vision, but is not contained within himself in his leadership is really like, you know, extending his, his, his leadership yeah. and, and, and input from other people open. Yeah. Yeah. And what I find, and we've kind of mentioned this on the show before, Adam, is that, um, when you, when you're in an area where it's not predominantly practicing Christian mm-hmm. or Catholic, like when your percentage is, is lower, a lot of times people who are active in their faith are a little bit more fired up, um, motivated. And organized, I find. And organized mm-hmm. because they have to be. You yeah. know, it's just not like, you know, there's a church on every block or everyone's going to church and, you know, or it seems that way. Um, and so, you know, like, in those areas, like they're really wanting to know, like, what can we do that works? Like, how can we reach more people? How can our churches be more active? And, you know, they're up there with, you know, they might have a priest for every two to three parishes. Really? Yeah. And so the, the, uh, what you would be interested in is because as you're, you're studying the diaconate is the relationship with the priests and the deacons is phenomenal. Unlike I've ever seen. That's great. Why? Because they need them. Because they need each they other. They need each other, yeah. right? And the relationship between the, the bishop, the priest, the deacons, and the lay people mm-hmm. was phenomenal. They all need each other. Because they need each other. Yeah, because, right? I mean, when you're... And look, speaking from experience, both of us come from very Catholic, very Catholic area of the country, mm-hmm. and it's great. There are a lot of pluses yeah. to live here. And people come from all over the country to live in South Louisiana. Literally, a lot of my friends... They visited here or whatever, and they're like, this is a wonderful place to live. So I'm not knocking this area at all. No. I love where I'm from. But one of the downsides of things being so culturally Catholic is that a layperson might show up to your mass on Sunday, and you you have no reason to think, I need to meet this person or incorporate them into the church. In other words, like, I don't need them. They just happen to be there. And so it's hard to get us out of that mentality of needing each other. You know, for a priest to look at a deacon or a deacon to look at a priest or all of us to look at new people in our parish and say, wow, God has sent someone new that we need. We need their gifts and talents. We need um, their enthusiasm. It's it's hard for us to see things that way. Yeah. You know, a lot of trends around the country is what they call clustering, you know, is they're clustering parishes together, mm-hmm. um, either closing parishes and combining them into one parish, you know. Uh, two to three parishes together in a, in a bigger facility or uh, with with like one clergy, you know, one priest, one deacon mm-hmm. uh, serving. 
uh, or that that priest is clustering two or three parishes together and then saying mass at at each one, right? Providing the sacramental, you know, ministry to each parish, and then they provide uh, the spiritual formation, the uh, the catechesis, um, religious ed, all, all in one, you know. So a youth minister uh, who might you know, be there might be a youth minister for three parishes combining everything. That clustering has happened in a lot of areas in our country where, you know, the, where, you know, it, it's maybe less percentage of Catholic, but that's the trend. Like it kind of trickles down and, and there's multiple layers of why is that happening? One, it, there's a vocational thing. Yeah. You know, so uh, there's less priests to go around to serve every parish in some of these areas. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that the bishop was talking to me about is, you know, how are you guys, or what do you see with vocations and getting more vocations? Well, and part of that, too, I think people forget the vocation crisis we're in. Some of it is that we have less vocations overall, kind of. But remember, the population in the United States has exploded from, say, 1900. And so you have a lot more people that need the church, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a vocation boom or anything like that. And so... You know, as, as our country, our population increases, our vocations have not. So it's it's both that they've gone down a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's also that there's a huge need for priests that I don't think people realize. Absolutely. And I would back that up a little bit and say, yeah, yeah, we have, you know, we need more vocations. But I think the crisis is more a discipleship crisis. Yeah. You know, we have a crisis of a discipleship, people who are actively living the faith and when you live as a disciple of Jesus you're going to um, for lack of better words automatically discern your vocation you're right. open to whatever you're God wants to what for Jesus you. Saying, you want yeah. to respond to Jesus right yep. and what you find is in pockets of places that are focusing not on vocations but are focusing on being a living disciple like forming disciples like following Christ you, you automatically see just good vocations holy marriages, uh, men and women responding to uh, the call to religious life and and priesthood. Um, It's just kind of a natural fruit of that. And so in the church where we're kind of, we want to kind of plug holes where there's water coming through the boat, you know, uh, which sometimes is just necessary to stay afloat. Uh, But sometimes this is the bigger issue. You know, maybe the bigger issue is like you're, you're, you're in a pond that has a bunch of stumps that keeps poking <laughs> the holes in the boat, right? Yeah. And the issue is a discipleship issue, you know? Yeah, when it's kind of like, you know, a few times I've been blessed to work with some couples that were struggling in their marriage and things like that, and and you've, you've experienced this, but like, let's say your first meeting with them or your first conversation, you'll say something that's so simple and true, but they think it's absurd. Like, well, you need to this or this is the issue and they're like either you don't understand you don't get it or that's just way too simple to be whatever and then after months and months or a long time they finally get to the point where they realize that that was true the whole time well um cardinal um uh, gomez or not not cardinal bishop gomez of, of la i think he said what was true which is the main issue is as a church we're not listening to jesus mm-hmm. and the thing is that's true like that is the main issue but it's going to take us months and months and months of plugging holes and trying different things with seminary and formation, 
accepting certain candidates to the priesthood, lay formation, marriage enrichment. Like we're going to try all these things. And they're all good. And they're all good. Yeah. But in the end, what is the issue? As a church, we need to listen to Jesus again and figure out how to discern what God is telling us as a church. That's basically it. Yeah. I mean, it's a response to radically follow Jesus. When we do that, we respond to what he wants. So normal, you know, response of a disciple is, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to do what you want me to do. And I, I can hear you. you. Right. I can hear you. And that's the thing. We Formation, discipleship formation, is it's about opening the heart to listen to Jesus in every moment of life. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. And there's a lot of layers there. I was meeting with a, um, you know, a young adult the other day and vocational discernment and, you know, all this. And she was saying that, hey, uh, um, you know, I was like, you know, God does want what you want. Like your desire, like God wants good things for you. It's not like he's trying to complicate (laughs) your, your discernment here. And she said something interesting. She said, I don't know what I want. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I want. And and I think, you know, like a lot of times, like that's that's kind of, you know, we don't we don't really know like in discernment, it's getting down to our real desire, our real deep desire of what is it that we really want that will really satisfy and make us happy. Um and and that's where we respond from, you know, in in our discernment. You know, because when our desire matches God's desire for us, that's when we know, yes, that's what I want to do. That's when you knew fully, yes, you, you were called to get married. Uh, same for me. Um, you talk to people who enter into religious life or pre- it was like that, that, yes, that desire matched when you were discerning the diaconate, you know, those types of things. And so. Well, and confidence in that call is so important in all of those walks of life. You know, when I was discerning the priesthood, briefly, I read a an article by Cardinal Dolan that I thought was very helpful, but he talked about the insecurity of the call. Like, if you're not secure that Jesus is asking you to do something, here's how it'll play out in your priesthood. If you get ordained and you're not secure, this is what you'll look like. Yes. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I wanted to be a priest. I thought it was a great idea. I thought God had chosen a it great person a when he picked me. But in the end, there was no confidence that God actually wanted me to do this. Yes. And conversely, in marriage and discerning that, I had a great confidence. This is what the Lord wants me to do. And it's that confidence that has made me a good husband. Right. If I didn't have that, there have been lots of times where I could have just given up or not not been committed to the marriage like I should have. But what keeps me invested is I'm confident the Lord wants me here and he's calling me here. And the thing is, if all of us are living that way, we can be a healthy church. And if not, we're going to have a lot of issues moving forward. Right, because newsflash, every vocation is difficult to live. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus never said it would be easy. Because in our vocation, that's where we learn to most be like him, to most be like Jesus. And so when vocation gets hard, when marriage gets hard, or priesthood, or religious life, or you know, single life, whatever, when it gets hard, it, you have to go back to that moment of certainty, it says, well, I was called to this. Mm-hmm. Jesus is calling me to this. So when it's hard, I'm going to be reminded that this is, this is where I'm called and I'm going to, I'm going to push through. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to give up. Right. Cause the only other option is to leave Jesus. That's what makes the foundation for a happy life. I either 
continue this because you're calling me or I leave you. Boom. And that's that that's where Jesus placed the disciples um, in John six. You know, either you're gonna stay with me as I teach the Eucharist, or you're gonna leave. And if we're not living on that edge, we're either cowards as Christians because we're not pushing our relationship with the Lord the way He wants us to, to where we get to that moment often. Because <laughs> look, the, there's a lot of work to be done in the church. You know, like there's a lot to get done. And if we're not all living a life where we're experiencing that moment of, Lord, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know why I'm going through this difficulty. But if I say no right now, I'm leaving you. Right. Then I think we're we're a cowardly church. Boom. I can't do anything. Adam just decided to do a bunch of mic drops <laughs> at the end of the segment. All right. We're going to be right back. It's Paul and Adam talking all things art of living. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Paul George, Adam Conk, great to be back. Uh, it's great to be back. It is, man. Um, and the beard's looking good. It's growing Not on. mine. It's growing on me. Yours. Every time I think about growing a beard, I get a little bit, and then it, and it just, and then I shave. Well, you... You need to make it to like three months without touching it. And that's the hardest part of growing a beard. Well, that's the whole thing. I think I need to go like like hunting in the mountains for three months, <laughs> which I'm sure my wife would truly enjoy. <laughs> Honey, to grow a beard, I'm going to leave you with the kids for three months. Three months, babe. Because that makes sense. Um, <laughs> now, I did go on a three-day, four-day silent retreat. Nice. Uh, and you didn't shave that whole time? And I did. It just started bothering me. It, mm-hmm. it, like, you know. But we've talked about this. Like, a beard does not define your masculinity. No. And if anybody says that, I'm big enough to beat a lot of people up. I finally just realized that I was I was ugly enough that I needed to cover my face with something. <laughs> you have that's, a great face for radio. Is. We know yep. this about ourselves. Yep. Yeah. Uh, did I ever tell you about my blind friend who uh, described the way I looked? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I got to, got to know him on, on campus, and I was like, hey, uh, so, you know, what do you think I look like? And, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, like, he knows he's blind, so it's not like I'm making fun of him. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, like, a lot of times when, when people have, you know, certain quote-unquote disabilities, they they don't like you to pretend like you don't know. Right, right. Right? It's right. just like, this is who I am. Let's just... You know, and so he had a great sense of humor about everything um, with his blindness. But one day we were just talking. And I said, "What do you think I look like?" <laughs> and no lie, no lie. He goes, uh, "You're about six four, brown hair and a big nose." <laughs> and I said, "How in the world? Either a you're a genius, or b you're lying about being blind." <laughs> uh, I mean, had he like? felt your face and stuff no but one the height thing you like he could tell like voice and yeah you know like when he's standing in front of me and i guess the other was just you know guessing by the tone of my voice that you know i don't know (laughs) (laughs) uh 
I don't know, man. Uh, but we are in the middle of Lent still. Yes. You know, it's not over. Right in it. And, you know, I've been, you know, doing these conferences and, and Lenten missions. And, you know, you try to break open some themes in Lent, you know, and they're really consistent themes throughout the year. I mean, what God's doing and, you know, but liturgically, like Lent really, really calls us to certain things. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've been reflecting on talking to people about it is, is this, it's very, there's one crucial thing that happens in scripture in Lent. There's many things, but one in particular that sometimes we just kind of pass up and it's the baptism of Jesus. Okay. Uh, did, did you know that Jesus got baptized? Yeah. Okay. No, I heard that somewhere. No. Did you actually know that he probably didn't need to be baptized? That makes sense. Right. Cause he's divine. Right, hundred percent. But he's but he's also human. Yeah. But he also knows what we need as humans, and what he needed to institute for us to to be sanctified, right? So he, he you know, in baptism, he also sanctifies baptism. He he sacramentalizes it. He institutes what we should do, right? But he he goes to get baptized, and we have this reading in Lent where Jesus goes to get baptized, and uh, John's like, you know, I don't need it. I can't do that you know you're you're the deal i'm not and mm-hmm. jesus is like well you know you're gonna do it anyway and i'm gonna humble myself and i'm lower than you and you know you're gonna duck me so that happens and it's one of the few times in scripture in the new testament where we hear god's voice mm. and jesus comes up out of the water and you know what does he say i'm putting you on the spot what does jesus say or no god what does father? god say this is my beloved jesus son. probably said this is cold <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> refreshing uh, this this is my beloved son listen to him with whom i'm well pleased yeah 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 yeah. listen to him uh at, we hear his voice again at the transfiguration god's voice same deal right yeah. it's my beloved son listen to him right mm-hmm. uh so he comes up out of the water and uh you know it's interesting to me because this is a moment where you know the voice of god speaks directly to jesus although you know people were there and it doesn't say who heard the voice of god it just said god spoke and this is what he said. What does he speak directly to? Jesus' identity. He, re- he reminds Jesus of who he is. You're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, this is beautiful because God reaffirms who Jesus is, his identity as son. So Jesus, whether he knew that or not, he probably is affirmed, okay, that's my identity. And then he says, I'm well pleased. At that point, Jesus hadn't done any ministry. So God's pleased in Jesus, and Jesus hadn't done much. Yeah, he built some chairs. Built some chairs, hung out with some some boys, mm-hmm. got lost in the temple. Yeah. Uh, but it, w- what's beautiful to me is that God's pleased with him anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Because he loves him and his identity is his son. What does this mean for us? Certainly baptism, but more, you know, even furthermore is identity. Like, like. In Lent, we're reminded of who we are in the eyes of God, divine filiation. We're, we're sons and daughters of God, divine sonship, divine daughtership. And here's what I think, and I'm just going to throw it out there. Give it to me. I think that until we know our identity, uh, we will pursue things that will define our identity other than God. Mm-hmm. So our, identi- our identity motivates what we pursue if that makes any sense. Yeah. Right? Or our lack of identity motivates, or, we, or what we put our identity into motivates what we pursue in our life. Yeah. 
Yeah, how we see ourselves affects how the choices we make, the things we pursue. Because we either we're going to pursue the things we think we deserve because of how we see ourselves, or the things we think we need, right? Based on how we see ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So we get our identity and work or money or you know recognition. We're we're constantly going to be seeking those things. Okay, mm-hmm. and getting uh, fulfillment from it. If we know who we are in in the eyes of God, we're, we're gonna we're gonna seek God, right? We're gonna we're gonna seek after God. If we if we know who we are in our vocation, we're gonna pursue our spouse. Yeah, we're gonna do that. But if we don't, if we wrestle with our identity, we really, really um, find ourselves at a lot of you know dead ends and you know wrong turns. I mean, we've, we've all been there. We've all been there in our life. And ultimately just an unfulfilledness. An unfulfilledness. This general fog of something's not quite right. Yes. Um, and, but here's, here's the thing about our identity is living for Christ isn't easy. Mm. And, and I've looked, I looked it up and I know I don't find anything that says (laughs) easy. Uh, and there's two places where it says it's easy. There's two places. One, it says uh, the road is narrow, uh, and it and uh, it leads, and it's easy that leads to destruction. So, so the easy road leads to destruction. That's what the scripture says. As my eleven-year-old son would say, "Well, awesome then." Yeah, <laughs> awesome then. So, so it's easy only if it leads to destruction. Okay, that's yeah. the first one. And the second one is this: Jesus says, "My yoke is easy." And my burden is light. So the yoke, the thing around the neck that the oxen have, right? Mm-hmm. So so life is, you got to wear a yoke and have a burden for it to be easy. You see what I'm saying? So Jesus never proclaims it's going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. How much more difficult is life when we don't know who we are? Yeah. Right? And that's that's a lot of the issue that we face and, and that people face. And here's the, the beautiful thing about that that scripture is what happens after the baptism of Jesus. Where does he go? I'm kind of putting you on the spot over right into the desert, led right by the Spirit into the Lent, light right into the desert, forty days. Right, and it says he didn't eat or drink anything. Oof. Right, like, and we complain about fasting. Mm-hmm. Right, meatless Friday <laughs> and Lent, uh, which today, by the way, don't forget. Well, you did eat that roach on a Friday. I did eat. Does that count? As meat? I don't know. Uh, so I was actually somewhere, and uh, someone listens to the show, like, and came up to me. I was like, is that a true story about the roach? <laughs> and I pulled out my phone, and I showed the picture. Yeah. There it is, right in my fajitas. <laughs> and he was like, literally, he's like, I cannot, I don't think I can eat. I was like, you should have been there. <laughs> you should have been there. So Jesus goes right into the desert. Mm-hmm. Right right after knowing his identity, Jesus goes into the desert. Uh, why? You know, God's just like, it's not easy. Like, you know, we got to build some spiritual muscle. We, you know, you got to. So Jesus is in the desert, and God allows the devil to tempt him. Right? Mm-hmm. And what does he tempt him with? Well, he challenges his identity. Challenges. So it's not like he's like, dude, you're hungry. You want some bread with some peanut butter? Like little things. It's like, do you want kingdoms? Do you want power? Well, and his first words out of his mouth, if you are the son of God. Right? So he's challenging what the father just said. Exactly. Yep. If you are the son of God, then do this. Right. 
and I think like where does the enemy attack us is our identity. Mm. You know, if you true, do you really love your spouse? Can you really do that? Do you really know Jesus? Can you really walk with him? Constantly tempting us that there's some life that's better. There's a better life out there than the one that Jesus has for us. Yeah. I remember comment St. Thomas Aquinas kind of commenting on like why why would Jesus say his burden was easy? Mm-hmm. And why, you know, these kinds of things. But yeah. there's lots and lots of ways to sin. Because all you have to do is let something else control you. There's a ton of ways, and a lot of them are really fun. Yeah. So, like, the devil, at least, gave three temptations in that desert. Yep. Jesus could have gone with any of them. He could have. Right? But there was one way. And, and a, lot, a lot of them were good. Like, there are things that we would desire. Power, yep. money, ego. Like control, like it's all things that like in the in our human is like, whoa, wouldn't it be great to win the lottery? Right. You know? But there was only one way to follow God's will. Right? So the road is narrow and it's easy in a certain sense that there's lots and lots and lots of ways to give up that yoke, to give up that to give up God's will. Yeah. And the devil's gonna make that very easy for us. But it is not easy to not follow God's will in that you become dissatisfied, unhappy, burdened, full of resentment and bitterness toward people. Um, but it was really easy to get there. All you had to do was give up. All you had to do was say, what God is asking me to do, I will not do. You know, And that's how the devil got there. Now, he, the devil does not live an easy life, right? Like he's miserable, okay? But the way he got there was pretty easy. Right. The difficulty with the Lord is that it's a relentless call to give up our own will for his will. Mm. And it's relentless. Like, it, there's never a moment where we could be like, you know what? Today's Tuesday. I've been following God's will for like six I'm tired. days now. I'm tired. I don't want to do it. It's so easy to give up. Right. You know? But the thing is, is when you know your identity in Christ, in who you are, it becomes easier to follow Jesus than it does to give up in a right. sense of like, you know, what's true. Yeah. Right. And what's that's the good. thing you begin to see. There is one truth, right? One path the Lord is calling me to. And that's the one I need to go down. Yeah. Right. Because of who I am and who he's calling me to be. Right. All right. So our identity really drives what we pursue. But if you back up from that, here's the beautiful thing about the Lord is that God pursues us before we pursue anything else, mm-hmm. right? So we see that God, you know, spoke in to Jesus, his identity, right? And he didn't abandon him in the desert. I mean, what, is, what does Jesus say? I mean, we got to assume he had baptismal grace <laughs> to say no to the devil, right? Right? Mm-hmm. And what does he say? Um, uh, get behind me. I'm about my father's business, right? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Right? Well, and the thing is, I'm kind of reminded here of sibling rivalry, so go with me for a second. I'm with you. So sibling rivalry is you and I both have the same identity, but I think there's a limit to that. Mm. So, like, we're both sons or daughters of the same parents, okay. and there's some kind of limit to their love or mm. what that means. Gotcha. So I need to fight with you over that. <laughs> you see yes. what I'm saying? Well, the thing is, we're adopted sons and daughters of God. Yeah. There is no sibling rivalry with Jesus. No, we all have it all. <laughs> like, we all have it all. 
And it's like the Lord in calling us to that baptismal place where he heard, I am your, you are my beloved son. He's calling us to hear the same reality and to participate in that same reality. And there's no competition about it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like all of it belongs to us. It, it's not like Jesus got the best of it and we get the leftovers. The, the amazing thing is we are the same in adopted sons and daughters of God. We receive these same graces, these same help, the same Holy Spirit that the Lord himself has. And he shares as much as we want with us. And no one gets more grace than others in God's inheritance. We get as much as we want. We, we get as much <laughs> as we want, and he offers. He doesn't offer you more than he offers me. Right. Right? Now, I, I, can, I can access grace more than you by being open to it. Right. Right? So say I have a bank account. That's full. You have the same, but you just you just don't go and withdraw anything. You see it like you just don't access it. Yeah, you know. And, and I think a lot of times, like w- with God, is like God's offering this abundance, this grace, uh, this treasure, and we don't access what He has. Yep. You know, and you, you you can talk about that a lot of times in vocational grace. Like there is marital grace to not give up to keep going. But if you don't tap into the bank account of it, then it just runs dry, basically. Like, it just it just sits there. And that's why knowing who we are has a lot to do with knowing who God is. Because if I'm, if I'm treating the church, I'm going to walk with Jesus like a sibling rivalry, where I have to compete with all these people yeah. to show them that I have more of the Father's affection than they do, right. then I have no idea who God is. Right. And so our Lord, think about it. He has everything. Like he, from eternity, he is the son, eternal son of the heavenly Father. Does he hold it to himself? Saint Paul says he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. He died to bring in new brothers and sisters into the same identity he has. Right. Like he, not only does he allow it or enjoy it, he sacrifices everything so that you and I could have the same identity that he has. Right. And so, are we living like that? And a lot of times, no, because we, we forget who the Father is, so we don't know who we are. The Father loves and gives everything to whoever asks. Well, that, that's you know? a great point. And I think it's why a lot of times you see even infighting in the church mm-hmm. amongst clergy and organizations and people because they're not comfortable in who they are. So they compete. Right. And they, they divide. And the enemy is like, that's exactly what I love to do. Divide, conquer, get people against each other, think that they have power and ego and control, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you have great division, and the whole time it's because you know people aren't comfortable in who they are, and yep. so they back into their corners and into their cliques and regimes, and, and then we fight. If you are the son of God, then you should be speaking at every conference around the country. Right. If you are the daughter of God, you should have a thousand Facebook likes when you post pictures of your kids. Keep going. Preach it. <laughs> yes. If, if you are the daughter of God, your parish should be busting at the seams. Better than that other person's than parish. Than the other parish. Yep. And if you are the... Exactly. That's where the enemy gets us. Uh, instead of just being super comfortable in who God made us to be, our gifts, what we bring to the world, and focusing on him and not other things or other people. And, you know, I I think the temptation of Jesus in the desert, a lot of times we throw it off to the side as non-relatable, 
because we think he's Jesus. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't put anything in Scripture that we're not supposed to learn from. Like, it's there for a purpose. Jesus' temptation, I would assume, was a, is a lot worse than, our, than what we get. Mm. Like, like, think about the agony in the garden, that he sweat blood. When's the last time you sweat blood in your temptation? Not quite. I haven't, and I haven't met anyone who has. I've heard it's, it, it's been done. Mm-hmm. Other than, but I have never, like, I have never been tempted to the point where I'm bleeding out of my skin. Mm-hmm. And so, when we look at the at the temptation of Jesus in the desert, we have to multiply how difficult that temptation was, but also mirror that in the sense of what do we have to learn from the way that the devil tries to intervene in our lives by the way that he tempted Jesus. You can go back to the garden, right? division, power, control. Uh, God doesn't have what you need. Mm-hmm. There's something else. And that's where you're going to find pleasure. And it's just simply always a dead end. Yep. All right. We'll come back. Paul and Adam talking all things art of living. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Paul and Adam here in studio talking all things art of living. And it is springtime here. Springtime. Yeah. So here's the thing about spring in Louisiana is that it's amazing. It's beautiful. The weather's awesome. But you literally have to, um, you know, kind of put it in a bottle and cork it because it doesn't last long. No, but that that's what makes it so special. It's true. <laughs> it's true because... <laughs> You know, we, we, I don't even talk about summer. We're not even going to do it because the, not it's so it. nice right now. You know, and there are people in the country who are dealing with snow. And yeah, not me. Not, not right me. now. Not, not doing me. it. Not, not here. Not now. going to do it. <laughs> All right. So here's what I'm thinking. I say we go hard to the paint with a six pack of questions. Question. Hard to the paint. All right, so is this back and forth, or you're, you're just drilling down you tell me, with sir. all six? You tell me, sir. Um, well, since you're, you're always well-prepared with the six-pack of questions, <laughs> I say you go all six. Let's do it. Well, I have question number one. Okay. So this is a six-pack of identity questions, since that's what we talked about. Oh. And how do you respond personally? But, like, you know how people say, um, so who are you? Or like, what do you do? Like, in other words, when we first meet somebody mm-hmm. and somebody's trying to get a hold of your identity, yeah. like, what's a good response to that question? Like, how do you tell people who you are, um, you know, in I think, 30 seconds? I think people might be weirded out by me because I really intentionally avoid answering that question because mm-hmm. it bothers me. Because I'm really not at all, and it's maybe taking me longer than most, but I'm really not at all what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. I don't want to be. And I certainly know, like, 
who I am, like my gifts flow into like certain things that I do, but like at the end of the day, I'm not. So I just try to drive the conversation another way. Like I'm married, I have kids, you know, um, I just hang out, you know, like, like, let's talk about me. So Paul, who, tell me about you. Let's oh, talk about I, I me. And out. then eventually, eventually <laughs> it really gets to like, you know, people are like, just like, so what do you do? Like with yourself, like work. And so right. if they can say work, I'm like, oh, so what do I do to like, to like, you know, pay the bills? Right. That's what I do. So do you make a lot of awkward first impressions because of that? <laughs> no, I, I think I'm just awkward first impression no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. So question uh, number two. Wait, I have a side oh. question for you. Oh, it's okay. not a six pack. All right. Okay. That's so if bonus. you're in the snow, since we're talking about six pack, can you ice beer in the snow? Sure. But but when it's cold, do you enjoy drinking beer? Oh, when it's well, cold. I don't know. I've never done. Not that. when the beer is cold. When, when you're it's cold. cold, I've never experienced it, so I can't speak to it. Okay, I don't know. Neither have I. I'm sure people do. I've seen commercials of like six packs like flowing in this like ice yeah. stream, and they and seem so happy. Seem so happy, but yeah. uh, it seems like my hands would be so cold. I wouldn't want. Yeah. you know, give me some hot chocolate. Uh, maybe I go inside where it's warm. Yeah. All right. Question number two. So we probably got a lot of people doing some introspection, like. Do I know who I am? <laughs> right? And so let's, let's uh, my question is, what are some kind of red flags that I might have an identity crisis? Like things that about my life that maybe I should look into this identity thing and really give it a serious look. What are like two or three red flags that should tell me, yep, I need to get to know who I am? I think it's always good to do inventory of ourself, no matter where we are. Because I think our identity, whether we know it or not, like we talked about, is always getting attacked you know mm. so I, I often spend time reflecting on you know who am i am, am am i am i getting lost in other things that are defining me and so i think some good questions to ask are you know first is like do i really know who i am and do i love who i am right because that kind of you know really kind of will, will help you kind of think about and you know then outside of my what i do Am I comfortable with who I am and my my gifts of just who I am? Another question would be, do I spend a lot of time looking and comparing myself to other people? You know, because mm. people who don't fully know who they are, comfortable in who they are, spend a lot of time comparing themselves to other people or other situations. And those are some good questions to ask, not out of like self-deprivation, but self-reflection so that and come to a place to say, Lord, here's where I'm at. Can you speak into me like you did Jesus? I want to be your beloved son or beloved daughter. Here's what happens. Things begin to change when we hear God's voice of who we are. That's when we begin to discover more and more. Uh, I'm not about what I do. I'm about who God says I am, period. No, no extension to that sentence. Love it. All right, question number three. Give me like two or three good exercises. Whoa. Of, We're going uh, kinesiology here or what? Oh, yeah. No. Um, spiritual exercises of like discovering who you are. So you've worked with people that have had identity crises, right? Like they're acting out against their spouse or their whoever because they really aren't secure in who they are. Yeah. So what are like the top or the go-tos that you use to suggest, look, this is things you can do to really get a hold of, of who you are and be more confident in your relationship with God? Well, the, sometimes there's just a, some external changes that need to be made, 
mm. right? Um, and it could be relationships, friendships. You know, I mean, we're heavily influenced. Our identity is heavily influenced by the people we, we hang out with. Um, and so I find a lot of times, like, we're, when I'm meeting with someone and they're confused about their identity, they make not good choices and the direction of their life is, they're a lot of times surrounded with people who, who are helping them not to do well in their life, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe some external changes there, some external changes in some patterns of behavior, maybe some addiction. Maybe if, if they're like, I don't have an addiction, I'm like, we'll go without it. Go without, you know, the alcohol or, you know, the, the pornography or whatever that, you know, go without and see if you're addicted. So a lot of times there's some external things that kind of have to begin to go away before you can get to the internal, Right. Most people would say if they're not happy, they would be like, yeah, I'm not happy. To get to the why, sometimes there's a lot of layers. And that's where you kind of have to go through what are the external things first that are blocking my ability to hear God's voice. Hmm. Sin, hands down, blocks our ability to hear the voice of God. You know, uh, God loves us whether we sin. God cares deeply about us. Um, but sin is definitely a, a hindrance to hearing the voice of God. And once we can kind of begin to clear out the external, we then I would say begin to, to sit with with the truth of who God says you are, right? Let it let it kind of begin to drill down in, into your heart. Sit in prayer, sit with scripture, sit with people who tell you and encourage you and who you are. And honestly, sometimes that just takes a little bit of time. Mm, time. Question number four. So Sorry. you mentioned layers. Is this four? Yeah. Already? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Question number four. So you mentioned these layers, and this is a hot topic in the Catholic world these days. But is like, it? The line between the need for counseling or the need for spiritual direction, the mm. need for just like human formation and mental health, or the need for more prayer and whatever else. So like, is there really that kind of either or like how, how do you how do you see this question especially in regards to identity and coming to know who you are i i get that question all the time which is interesting that you ask it um considering you're so well planned in your uh, <laughs> six pack of questions is a lot of times people don't want to go see someone spiritual because they don't want to be judged right and they don't want to go to counseling because they don't want to be fixed and so they come to someone like me who does more like life coaching and, but they know I'm spiritual and they know, I know a little bit about the counseling, but you know, uh, because they kind of want to just be comfortable where they're at, you know, and, and then hopefully can move forward. Hmm. Uh, but to your point, spiritual direction for the, for those people in particular who are in ministry, religious life, okay, need consistent spiritual direction, like hearing the voice of God and helping someone else, a good spiritual director, really their role is to help the, to help the person, uh, to let God deal directly with the person and for the spiritual director just to help navigate that, but not intervene. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Counseling, you know, is important for people who are dealing with depression, um, deep issues or, um, things that they just can't get past, um, brokenness, woundedness, um, real, real hindrances to moving forward. Um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and worry and depression, and we all deal with that. And some are on deeper levels, 
And counselors are trained to help people do that. There's medication, there's all those things that are important. And if we're having a hard time finding our identity because we're depressed, we probably should go see someone, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. All right. Question number five. And if we're having a hard time hearing the voice of God, just on a spiritual level, we should find, if we can't find a spiritual director, a spiritual person, mm-hmm. a mentor who can maybe help navigate that spiritual uh, question for us. Right. If yeah. we just need life direction, then we need to find someone. So it's really evaluating where we are and being honest on what our needs are. Right on. All right, question number five. So I brought up sibling rivalry. You didn't. But this is an issue that I try to check myself on a lot. So my question is, in your work with the church and, and everything, I'm sure you've you've kind of developed ways of recognizing where, like, I'm being competitive with other people as a Christian, mm-hmm. as a Catholic, um, certain things that that competitiveness will bring out in me or not. Like, how do you? how would you suggest checking ourselves on if we're competing with others or trying to be the best super Catholic? Uh, If you can't get off of social media. If you can't get off of social media. I mean, I I see more people scrolling, (laughs) adults as well, on Facebook. And and I'm like, what is going through their mind right now? Mm. Uh, And I find like when I'm not okay with myself and, and I'm comparing, like I'm, I'm like online, like looking at what other people are doing. And it is a huge distraction for me. I've just kind of taken a break from social media. Maybe it's just me. Maybe not everyone's affected by it. But outside of social media, I think a lot of times we gossip about people. We look at what other people, we talk bad about people. It's just really just nasty. You know, comparison is, is I, I just think it's a subtle um, way that the devil leads us into desolation. And someone told me recently a very simple definition of what spiritual desolation is or desolation is the inability to see past what's exactly in front of you. Mm. It's the inability to see past what's right in front of you because if you can't see past what's in front of you, you can't see hope. You can't see freedom. You can't see purpose. You can't see love you're just seeing my worry my issue my anxiety my struggles and so what we do i think a lot of times in spiritual desolation is is instead of focusing on um you know jesus and what what he wants us to do in desolation it's so much easier to focus on someone else and their issues yeah they should invent anti-social media yeah like where you just be by yourself yeah. What I say, <laughs> if you're around someone who's constantly comparing themselves to other people or talking about people or talking bad about other people is they are so uncomfortable in their skin. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge, huge sign of insecurity. Yeah. All right. Question number six. So I want to talk parent to parent for a sec. Um, so obviously identity, as important as we we're talking about, as we are the primary teachers of our children in the ways of the faith, that comes with teaching them who they are, right? Mm-hmm. So what's your kind of top do and don't for parents as far as helping establish in children a sense of a healthy identity? Well, the top don't would be, I would say, to avoid um, speaking negative thoughts into your 
speaking negative things to your kids about who they are. We're all imperfect. None of us look perfect. None of us make perfect grades. None of us are perfect in sports. We all, from the very time we're kids, in our DNA, we have imperfections and we're good at some things and we're not good at some and we look good in some things and we don't look. So so I think a lot of, like when I deal with people who are affected by their identity, a lot of times it's because their parents told them they were ugly or stupid or not smart or not smart enough or, you know, like, and even little things like just, oh, you you know, just little constant picking and, and parents don't realize that they do it. So that's the top don't because, um, that dart, that one word will stick inside your child's heart for a long time. They'll have to mm. deal with it. Uh, so the top do would be the opposite of that is just speak truth into your kids. Speak truth into who they are, who God created them to be, how amazing they are, how beautiful, how handsome, how smart. I'm not talking about in a narcissistic way. I think it's very good to help kids identify their gifts and sometimes that's helping them identify what their gifts aren't. Mm-hmm. That's not negative. That's just saying you might not be good at football. You might be much better at uh, soccer, right? You might not be good at soccer. You might be much better at playing the piano. Let's focus on what you're good at. You see what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. not negative. It's helping them to identify their gifts so they're comfortable in it, right? If we don't help our kid help identify our kids gifts then they just kind of don't know what they are and then they just assume or don't assume and then they just think they're not good at something because they're focused on other kids who are good at something mm-hmm. makes sense mm-hmm. and i think a lot of times in, with kids they easily compare because the rock star or the sports star is always the star and what ends up happening is once that kid graduates you know junior high or high school they're just a normal person again but kids are formed when they're little and they kind of see that it's really important to help for parents to help navigate their attention away from those things into who they are awesome so it's a six-pack man we should go to duluth minnesota and ice a six-pack in the snow (laughs) maybe deacon john the elder will have us there sounds like a wise man he's john the he's very very wise very wise um, and uh, super grateful for those guys for having me out and for um, good friend Father Mike Schmitz who's up there at the uh, University of Minnesota Duluth um, who got me up there and um, grateful for him so yeah it was wonderful wonderful to be there but uh, the 19 hour trip back on a plane uh, yeah that, Wait, got, that got me 19 hours in, in the airport lots of delays anyway so great show! Hey, I want to encourage everyone. Uh, the show is, you know, produced here in the studio, KLFT Radio, UW10 Radio here locally in Acadiana. It's also a podcast produced by Art of Living. You go to discovertheartofliving.com. Uh, you can go to uh, support, click that, and uh, you can support the show. So for the show to keep going and keep airing, for us to be able to do it, we need supporters from all over the world and country. Uh, you know, $10 a month, one-time donation. Um, it helps us to continue to do the ministry. And we feel what's important, right, Adam, is that this gives us the ability to spread God's word yeah. in a way that, you know, I can't travel everywhere and neither can you all the time. But there's people who are listening all over the world to this podcast as well. And we want to keep doing that, but it costs studio time, yep. all these things, the technology. 
and uh, we want to keep producing a really good show. And so thanks for all those who do support us, but we need more and we need to keep going. And we just see our ability to, um, you know, bring God's word of the world through the radio, through communicating, through speaking, through um, helping people in their vocation and marriages. Uh, we want to keep doing that. We want to change the world. We want to transform culture. So support us. Go to discovertheartofliving.com. Share the show. Um, support us. Click support. And uh, thanks for listening and being a part of uh, what we're doing. Thanks, Adam. You're awesome, man. Thank uh, you, Paul. Yep. We'll be back next week. God bless.